You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Gina and I disagree on gift wrapping. Um, not on what not on what type of gift wrapping, but whether or not gift wrapping is necessary. The way I see it, spending money and effort in wrapping a nice gift is a gift tax. The paper costs money, the bag costs money, the tissue paper costs money, the bow costs money, and then have you seen the price of what they charge for a sappy card these days? It is crazy. That is all gift tax. My gifts, to, in fact, even my, um, I blew even our, our uh, proposal that because I, I was like so not into how you give gifts. But my gifts to Gina early in our marriage were rarely wrapped. Um, they were always given early, whether that was a birthday or anniversary or whatnot. And I realized, though, through the years that no matter how nice the gift, the presentation and the presentation day mattered to her. And I discovered that if I wanted to see the twinkle in her eye, because the whole reason why you give a gift, is I needed to do it differently than what I had done it before. And so I've come around through the years to recognize that the gift wrap matters. Um, All of the wives can thank me for that later. It doesn't increase the value of the gift, but it does elevate the joy of the gift receiver. And so wrapping is also an expression of love. So as I wrap up this summer series, (laughs) like what I've done there, I decide to even light it up behind me. I want to draw our attention to how God wraps his gifts, all of his gifts, especially spiritual gifts. And he emphasizes these by wrapping them in love. Now, I can be a very utilitarian type of guy. Um, I've been accused of being very much just a bottom line guy. My feelings generally is that they don't matter a whole lot. It's like we can feel later, but let's keep our eye on the ball. I'm not a great or haven't been a great celebrator. But I realize that I have sacrificed a lot of joy on my journey because I haven't paused in any of those kind of moments. Um, And that mindset, when I looked back over even the series that we've done for the last two and a half years, uh, right, is that I may have even taught the gifts of the Spirit in the same kind of functionality. Because here, right, this this was the main takeaways, was that the gifts of the Spirit are for the mutual edification of the body, they're given for the functionality. That's the, what keyed me into. I'm just, I probably focused on functionality, right? They are given for the functionality of ministry and mission. And, and writing it out like that, I'm not trying to do away with the mystery that are the gifts. I'm just trying to move us past the mystery of the gifts into how the gifts function, okay? Um, but what I haven't zeroed in on is the motive of God in giving these gifts, Understanding the motivation of the giver in almost any circumstance, understanding the emotion, the emotion of the giver guides us in how we are to use the gift. All right? It's very telling to me that when we're introduced to the gifts of the Spirit, we're not introduced to the tools of the Spirit. Right? They're gifts, not tools. 
They're to be used for sure, but they're given out of joy, for joy. They're giving out of love, for love. And I understand that God uses us in his kingdom, for sure. Believe it wholeheartedly. He chooses us. He picks you. I get it, all of those. But he does all of that because he loves us, not because he needs us, right? We don't add anything to God. God adds everything to us. Now, I don't remember exactly how old Annie was, but she was young, young, young. And I was heading to Home Depot one Saturday for a, a, a project. And Gina caught me before I left, and she suggested that I take Annie with me. And I remember saying, why would I do that? Right? I mean, it was just immediate, why, why would I do that? I mean, she can't, she can't carry anything. We can't split up and I can't send her down an aisle to get something to save time. I mean, she's having to ride in the buggy. She can't even push the buggy. Why, why would I do that? I was thinking function. Gina was thinking relationship. That, she says, well, I take her everywhere I go. You know, I don't know why you can't take her where you go. But it's because I was thinking functionally and not relation. And I even... Uh, she was in the first service, so I can, I can be a little bit more, um, well, <laughs> when I look at over, over almost 25 years of her life, although I think I express a lot of love to my daughter, I, I'm afraid she told me the other day that most of our conversations are around her businesses, not about her. And it just kind of made me think, I think more in terms of being a resource for her sometimes than being a dad for her. And it's just kind of how my brain works. So when you think about the Holy Spirit's role in our life, I don't want you to see him primarily as a resource, but a relationship. Not a resource on how we live, but a relationship on how we live. And I find it very telling that when Jesus is first telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit, he does so in John chapter 14. He has a clear understanding that he pulled these guys out of obscurity. That they, they were obscure. And he didn't just, yes, he tells Peter, I will make you fishers of men. But he spends three and a half years building a very tight bond with these guys. He didn't put them in a seminar or a conference what he, what he did was he did life with them. And he did life with them. They did life with him. He loved them. They knew and experienced his love on multiple fronts. And he had a clear understanding when they were going to arrest him and nail him to a cross, it was going to rock their world. And so because of that, Jesus starts preparing them for this. And he starts preparing by this, telling them about the Holy Spirit, which tells me that when he introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he's doing so out of a relationship capacity before he ever gets to a functional capacity. All right? So I, I wrote it out this way. The Holy Spirit in John 14 is first and foremost a relational, relationship surety before a functional capability. All right? Listen to, listen to it out of the NIV. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. That's a relationship statement. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's relationship. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's relationship. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and will show myself to them. That's all relationship. Now he changes gears. All this I've spoken while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said. There's the fun- functional capability. I'm giving for relationship. And here now we're giving for function. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's also relational. So all function out of relationship. He didn't create us to use us. He creates us to be loved like his sons and daughters. And when you receive the depth of love like that, you have the ability to exhibit the love of God like that. And this, quite frankly, is what the Corinthian church doesn't get yet. They don't understand this piece. Paul says at the very beginning, Corinthians 12, he's telling them, hey, you got every spiritual gift. But when he gets to the the end of chapter 12, he tells them this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So he's not saying, you've got all this wrong. He's not saying, I need to help you understand this deeper. What he tells them is, there is a more excellent way in which you are operating in these gifts than you are currently doing, and I want to show you that way, that manner. And 1 Corinthians 13 becomes the spiritual gift wrap we have of the gifts. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Version. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I have become only a noisy gong, noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, symbol, just an annoying distraction. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I speak a new message from God to the people and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have all sufficient faith to say I can, I can remove mountains, but I don't have love reaching out to others, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it does me no good at all. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. Love doesn't brag. It's not proud or arrogant. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It doesn't take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when truth wins out, when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, Endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. And then he shifts to the gifts. 
But as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. With the return of Christ, there will be no need for then the operation of the gifts. So he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. The way I read that is, as I've grown in my understanding in life, I do not do things like I used to do. The more understanding and the more mature I've become, I look at things differently. I respond differently. And this is where he's bringing us towards love. He said, for now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then when the time of perfection comes, in my vernacular, all this is going to make sense. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I'll know fully, just as I've been fully known by God, I'm fully known by God. And now there remained faith. I love how the Amplified breaks these small little words into the, the pregnancy of their meaning. Faith, abiding trust in God and his promises. That's what faith is. Abiding, resting, residing, steadfast. It doesn't move. Faith is an abiding trust, not a fleeting trust, not a circumstantial trust, not an up and down trust. Faith is an abiding trust. Hope. Confident expectation of eternal salvation. Okay? Hope is not an emotion in Scripture. It's never an emotion. It is a confident expectation. And then love. Unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. Because that's the only place this love can come from. And then these three, the choice is graces, but the greatest of these is love. A portion of 1 Corinthians 13 has been my wedding ceremony for over three decades. Um, Paul's description of love is the most desired version of love um, that you will ever find. I mean, I can't, it doesn't matter what religious status or position anybody is in any of my wedding ceremonies. When I read that expression of love, most of them don't even know it's from Scripture. It just sounds like a good poem, Right? But love is the ultimate gift wrap, the unselfish love of others growing out of God's love for me. And this is how God establishes the gifts out of love for us. And this is how he wants us to use these gifts one for another out of this kind of love. Um, the love of Christ, and I just broke it down on bullets, and they'll be on the website when you go into the sermon archives and notes or wherever, wherever that stuff's kept. So you can take pictures if you want, but this is, this is the love of Christ. It's a patient and a calming love. It's a kind, thoughtful, non-jealous, non-envious love. It's a love that doesn't bra brag. It's not proud or arrogant, which to me means it's a love that elevates you over me. A love that isn't rude, self-seeking, or easily angered. That's a love that prefers you over me. A love that doesn't keep score. A love that doesn't say, I told you so. A love that can handle the largest of burdens. A love that is full of trust. Have you ever thought about that? That God's love for us is like that? That his love is full of trust for us? 
A love that stands firm through the test of time. A love that never fails or fades. But in order to operate in that kind of love, that we have to receive that type of love for Christ. We have to soak in it. We have to abide in it in order for it to flow out of us. Now that sounds, that sounds nice. But you think about it. You dip a sponge in water and you squeeze the sponge. What comes out? Water, right? The sponge is full of water. You squeeze it, water comes out. If you have a sponge that's dry, that's empty, and you squeeze it, nothing comes out. If you have a sponge that's dried up and you squeeze it, you actually just damage the sponge. We can't flow out of something that we're not full of. In fact, you know, when you get squeezed, we all get squeezed, right? There's circumstances, there's things that squeeze us. And the, the question really to ask is, what are we full of? Because what we're full of is what's going to come out. But it doesn't mean there's a lack of water to, for us to consume. Because his source is never ending. Look, I'm a striver performer, earner. That's, that's who I am. That's how I'm made up. So the days I perform well, I feel as if I deserve love. And the days in which I do not perform well, I have to fight those feelings. If I'm squeezed on a good day, love comes out. If I'm squeezed on a bad day, love does not come out. <laughs> right? But here's the fact the love of Christ can't be earned. It can only be received. And if you insist on being a striver, performer, earner with God, your relationship will always be up and down because it hangs on your own inconsistencies. Listen, you can get a lot of places being a striver, performer, earner. There is nothing wrong. I'll take a performer, striver, earner all day long, right? I, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather rain you back than kick you in the rear, right? I, I want to be around people that drive. The problem is it's very difficult then to take that so deeply ingrained part of your personality and turn it off when it comes to the love of God. You still end up living in this, did I do good enough today? Or... Most likely is, I blew it today. And so if you, if you can't feel and experience this love of God at the depth in which we read in Corinthians, how is it possible then to be used in a body that needs people to love them? You might think you are self-contained and you don't need anybody else's love, but you do because we were created for this. We were created for relationship. We're created for people to love us. But you can see if everybody just is so dry and all they want to do is be loved, there ain't anybody to do any loving. And after a while, you're responsible for your sponge. After a while, you've got to learn to stay in the bucket a little longer. Until your sponge isn't floating on top, but it's sinking to the bottom. 
right? It's, 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 it's to abide in what, what this truth, to abide in this love of God. What about the flip side? If you've been beat down or let down by someone who was supposed to love you, you also have difficulty in receiving the love of Christ. Because in your eyes, self-worth is spiritual worth. And you might not have ever stated that that plainly, but your actions expose your belief. So here's three bullets for you. Self-worth doesn't equal spiritual worth. Spiritual worth precedes and supersedes self-worth. Right? It precedes self-worth. His love for us preceded us. Before there was an us, a you, and a me, there was the love of God. So spiritual worth precedes that. Self-worth tends to be conditional and then in the hands of others making self-worth very unstable. Do you understand that? When you place your self-worth in the hands of others, you place your self-worth in someone else's dry sponge. Spiritual worth is unconditional in the hands of only one person, God, making our spiritual worth rock solid. And self-worth is up and down based on my feelings. Spiritual, spiritual worth is anchored in truth. Right? Feelings are real. Feelings matter. But many times, feelings are not true. And so what are you going to allow to drive you? Truth or all of those negative feelings? Christ died for us when we were in the middle of our sin. It's, it's in Romans 5. I'm going to read it out of the message in a minute. But, uh, but what has always been moving to me there is the very fact that while I was in the middle of my mess, when I was in the middle of creating my mess, the love of God was consistent there. Here's how Romans 5 reads out of the message. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, which is to set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. An alert expectancy such as this. We're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And if, even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person we're dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us to selfless sacrifice but God put his love on the line for us, offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. 
Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there's no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of the resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say in plotting prose, we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Relationship. There was an old show on PBS called The Antique Road Show. You may have caught it some. History Channel, American Pickers, is more the postmodern version of that. It's the more, more active version. And I, I watch it pretty regularly, actually, when it comes up. I don't know if it's recent or, you know, rerun. Doesn't matter to me. If I hadn't seen it, I watch it. And I'm always amazed at the pieces they pull out of barns that have absolutely no value to me. <laughs> right? I look at that, I wouldn't, give you, I wouldn't give you a quarter for it. But they, but they pull it out because they know somewhere there is someone that will value that piece to pay the price they ask. There might be a thousand people they know that wouldn't give a quarter for that Ford radiator. But they know there's somebody. Christ is our somebody. There might not be anybody that would give anything for you. But Christ already has. I know how I evaluate myself. You probably don't evaluate yourself much differently. Give yourself scores on different things. Would anybody... I mean, when, when Gina said yes to marry me, I was like, Really? And yet here is someone who knows all the intricacies of your life. He knows what's on your phone. And he still chooses you. He doesn't depreciate his love based on what he finds. He doesn't grade us on a curve. He doesn't pit us one against the other. He sees the ultimate worth in each of us before there was in us. And he decided to pay the price. That's love. That's the love that he offers us. Um, Years ago, someone gave me this. Um, and if you own an electric car, you don't even know what this is. And I, I asked in the nightclub, I asked a couple guys that I thought were car people. When they couldn't tell me this, I wrote them off my car people list. Um, this is an oil nozzle. This is, um, you know, now you get oil in, in, in plastic can or plastic bottles. And it makes a whole lot more sense than they used to do it. But it was a, it was a can. It was basically almost a cardboard can with a metal top and a metal bottom. And then this is what you would insert. It would puncture the metal, go down. There's, a, there's like a gasket here. It was, it was supposed to form a good seal. And then you could turn it over and dip it into um, an engine. And I was the most afraid of this when I went to work for my dad as a teenager. Um, because 
Uh, one, we had to ask everybody if they wanted their oil checked. And most people need oil. You don't think you do, but most people end up needing oil. And my fear always was if I couldn't do this right. Because if you didn't do it right, it would leak. And it would leak on a hot engine. Oil on hot engines creates smoke. Smoke make car owners very nervous with teenagers under hood. <laughs> and where some of these manufacturers would put where you put the oil in caused its own kind of commotion. I've, I've used not this particular one. I've used one of these, I mean, thousands upon thousands of times. No exaggeration. And I came to a whole different understanding of how it worked. And my experience with it made me not afraid of it anymore. And you might not think God has enough experience with you to love you the way I've described today. And you're somewhat even afraid of it. But in Luke chapter 12, and these aren't throwaway verses of scripture. He says he loves you enough to know all the hair, all the hairs on your head. It says that in Luke. In Psalm 56, the psalmist tells us that he counts and collects every tear that you've ever shed. This is not poetry. It's poetic, but it's not poetry. It's, it's not metaphor. Can you imagine that someone loves you so much that even the times no one else can feel or see your sorrow, who has counted, curated, collected, categorized, cataloged, that tear goes with that memory. That tear goes with that pain. That tear went to that prayer, and yet that's what we have with God. And then in Psalm 139, that all of our days were written out before one ever happened. Who does that? And then that our steps are ordered, which also is listed in Psalm 139. He has great experience with you. And he loves you like that. You might not feel like you're worth all of that. The decision you have to make is on which value are you going to base your life? Others' assessment of you? Your assessment of you? Or God's assessment of you? How are you going to live your life? One of the most personal experiences with the love of God for me came when I was rocking Annie when she was a baby. Um, you'll, you'll know this setting, young, 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 in a crib, crying at 2 a.m., and the elbow goes in the side of the husband, and it says, your turn. This particular morning, it was my turn. And so I somehow found the nursery right across the hall. And I picked her up out of the crib, and I sat in the glider, and I sat her on my lap, and she put her head on my chest, and you know, within you know, seconds, she's not crying anymore, and she's fast asleep. And I mean, out of nowhere came this overwhelming love for her that I could not express. I'm like, I barely even know the kid. 
right? I mean, we're talking months here. And, and so there was no explanation, right, for this kind of, I mean, over, I mean, I remember crying, holding her, and it was in that moment, as clear as I've ever heard God say to me anything, he said, I love you this way. That just, you know, color me done, right? I mean, I, there wasn't anything else I could do in that moment. I just cried and cried. And I, I said, I guess there's no way to love, to understand the love of God at that depth until you are actually loving somebody in that depth. I had not, exp God loved me. He loved me before, he's loved me afterwards. But in that moment, I had the best revelation of what it was to be loved by God. And it's interesting, it came out of my expression of love for someone, not me. It makes me wonder that our capacity to feel and experience love is mysteriously connected to how we love. And, miraculous, and miraculously through Christ, how we are loved changes how we love. How does a body love one another when we can do it unselfishly, unsacrificially? It's amazing of what we end up experiencing from the Father saying, yeah, I love you like that. I love you more than that. It's amazing. Come on up, team. Life is hard. Things don't always go our way. And the enemy wants to leverage every hard, every disappointment, every discouragement, every missed expectation to create a love gap between you and him. But the truth is that God loves us with an overwhelming love. Here are three more bullets. Cultural love is fleeting and it's flashy. God's love is steadfast and strong in Christ. The love of God isn't sentimental, it's cement. And so for the Corinthian church to excel in the ministry and the mission, they needed to excel in love. And this was their spiritual father saying, guys, you got all it takes. You got every spiritual gift. You're in an influential city. Everything you got's here. But you gotta have to learn how to love. For any of this to matter, you're gonna have to love one another. At Gateway, we have a lot of really talented, gifted people, spiritually and otherwise. I haven't met one of you that I thought was boring. But the effectiveness of ministry is gonna flow out of relationship. And our relationship with one another is gonna flow out of our relationship with Christ. Do you feel loved by God today? Has your own life circumstance squeezed 
all of that out of you. This morning, the message is every much a bit about you being loved by God than it is how that love is to wrap how we do ministry. Really, love is how we're wrapped, how we do relationship. That we learn to love like that. The only way we learn to love like that doesn't do me any good to tell you to love somebody. The approach is to tell you, you are loved by somebody. And the more you embrace that you're loved by God, and it's not sentiment, it's not poetry, it's truth. The more you will anchor into that it's not fluff or just words. And you sit in and soak in the love of God. It will change you. It will change the most um, self-deprecating person and the self-driver. The love of God. That's why we're going to receive communion today. It's why we, I wanted to roll out how we do pastoral care on the last of this extended summer series around maybe one of the most well-known passages of all scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Love. I find it interesting that when God first institutes Passover, it's in a show of great power. It's a great power. It is, it is, it is changing the destiny of a nation. It is taking 400 years generational slavery and releasing them in a moment. And Passover in that institution was a demonstration of, I mean, the hard-handed power of God. And the next time it circles back is with Jesus in a room with his friends. And no doubt, the cross of Christ is a powerful in-your-face moment. And yet he turns communion in this very personal, loving expression. And he even uses words that would draw a husband and a wife to think about even how they were betrothed. Yes, the love of God is a powerful thing but it is a very emotional, real thing. I also find it interesting that when we receive communion, we, we internalize it. We, we literally drink a cup of juice or wine, bread or wafer, and we ingest it. That on a biological sense, it breaks down and it gives us something. Spiritually, it is the ingesting of the love of God. It is a mystery of mysteries. It is ingesting the love of God so that it can get into our system and so that it can come out in expression. You may be feeling the furthest away from God today. You, you may have never, ever, ever even been close to God. You might have come in today. You might be watching online or watching this a month from now. 
Like I said, in every wedding ceremony, I don't care what religious affiliation or non-affiliation people have, I read that expression of love and people are like, I want that. Doesn't matter where they are. I want that. Well, that's what's offered. That's what's offered in Christ. Nothing less. That's what's offered in Christ. And he's done all of that up front for us. We don't do anything. And so what we're left to do is receive what he's given. There's not a formula for it. There isn't a, a, there isn't a say these five words. I prayed with someone recently to receive Christ. And they said, don't you want me to repeat after you? I said, no, I don't want you to repeat after me. I want you to repeat after you. What's going on in your heart right now? Just, just tell God that there is, you're not going to get this wrong. You can't get this wrong. It's a surrendering of yourself for a desire for that love. You can't get it wrong. He's done all the right stuff. And you have the opportunity to receive that from him. I don't even know sometimes if it needs to even be expressed by words. I don't know if he can, if he knows every word on our lips before we form it. Receive it from him and then receive communion as it comes. Gentlemen, it comes, get, take your places down front or however you're gonna do it. Or you're gonna, if you're gonna start in the back, just go in the back. If you're gonna start in the front, come in the front. Um, maybe there's been a gap. Maybe your sponge is dry. And I'll tell you, as sponge, as believers can get dry because we take ourselves out of the bucket. God doesn't move. If you're feeling distant from God, a hard word for me to tell you is he hasn't gone anywhere. You have. That's the hard word. The soft word is when you turn back to him, he runs to you. That's the soft word. But since he never leaves us or forsake us, any distance we feel, we've created that distance. And he's already rectified the distance, so it's a back to a surrender thing. And I encourage you today, if there's a distance between you and God, as you receive these elements, that you close the distance. And, and sit in these moments in our response time. And let the love of God kind of... come over you like waves. One after another, after another, after another. Oh, Holy Father. Oh, he wants to love you today. Don't resist his love for you today. Don't let your anger or disappointment in him cause you to miss his love today. Don't allow your anger and disappointment with yourself to not receive his love today. I believe he wants me to say that he makes all things new. Hold on to that word, somebody. 
He makes all things new. The communion cups are nested in one in another. The, and it's a gluten-free wafer. The juice cup sits inside that cup. You're gonna take both cups. And I ask you just to hold them to everyone served. And then I'll come back and administer communion as the team sings. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.